We turn this morning in God's Word to, once again, the book of Micah, the fifth chapter, Micah chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 7, Micah 5, verse 7. For those of you visiting, we are in a series of messages uh, in the morning worship on the book of Micah. This evening, we are dealing with the Belgic Confession. Tonight, we deal with the article that deals with the church. It's going to take us several Lord's Days to actually get through this article and the one that follows. I encourage you to come back this evening to hear what God's Word teaches us regarding the church of Jesus Christ. Micah chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 7. Probably the most familiar text out of the book of Micah, uh, we had uh, a couple of Sundays ago when we were in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth for me, one who will be a ruler in Israel. Probably the most familiar passage. Uh, today, we have the second most familiar passage in the book of Micah, 5 verse 7. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land, throw down all your strongholds, and I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities, and in anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Hear what the Lord says. Arise. Plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised? And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him? And what happened at Shittim to Gilgal? That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Thus far the reading of God's word. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And you are so great among the nations, the greatest. Father, it is to you that we come in this morning hour to listen to your word be spoken. We pray that you would be with Pastor Bob, that you would give him the words to speak, the clarity of mind, and that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that ever longs for your return. And help us to walk more humbly in your path. In your son's precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Three things to look at as we make our way through these verses of Micah 5 and then into chapter 6. First of all, the remnant of the Lord. Uh, that is one of the themes that we find here and what it is that the Lord conveys regarding that remnant. Secondly, the charge of the Lord. And then thirdly, the requirement of the Lord as we come to that eighth verse. Those familiar words, what does the Lord require of you. First of all then the remnant if we go back to these opening uh, verses that I read chapter 5 verse 7 we are introduced to that idea of the remnant. A remnant is a piece it's not the whole. God is talking about uh, the fact that he will indeed execute his judgment upon the people of Israel and on the people of Judah. And after he has executed his judgment upon them, there will indeed be but a remnant left. A scrap. A leftover. Not in terms of somehow a, a moral understanding of that word, but simply dealing with size. When we talk about a remnant of something, we deal with it in terms of its size compared to the whole. And so what God is speaking of here is the fact that after his judgment is executed, there will not be as many Israelites, there will not be as many people of Judah as there were beforehand. They are going to fall, they are going to die, they are going to be eliminated by the Assyrians and then later by the Babylonians. But the Lord here tells us something about that remnant. And it's not negative, it's extremely positive. He says the remnant that's going to emerge, this remnant that, that will be left after his justice has been executed, is going to be first of all like the dew. How appropriate it is that we, as we gather upon this Lord's day, the Lord blessed us with that as well. We call it fog on a day such as this, but really what we're seeing is the dew falling. And we go, well, you know, it's kind of inconvenient. I really don't like this dew stuff. It makes golfing early in the morning hard. It makes everything wet. You know, if we're vacationing, the tent gets wet or the trailer gets wet. You know, their kids' shoes, they get wet and then they get dirty. Uh, the dew is not necessarily a, a great blessing, but it is when you live in a desert country. It is the dew and the dew alone that waters a dry and thirsty earth. I'm sure uh, the farmers even of our congregation are thankful in the lack of in the fact that we've had such a lack of rainfall 
that there has at least been some dewy mornings where plants have received at least some moisture. If not, they probably would have well been dried up by this point in time. But, but there has been enough moisture, even in the form of dew, that, that life has occurred and continues to grow through the blessing of God. Well, imagine in a desert place. Sometimes you may see pictures of deserts and look and say, how do those plants grow? It never rains there. I was watching a, an episode, I can't even remember of what program it was, about a month ago about the, the desert area of Mexico. And, and you, you looked at it and it was like, well, I just imagine the desert is all sand. But desert as defined by a lack of significant rainfall well, that's what they were dealing with here. But there were all these green plants, and they showed us in, in a video, uh, fast-forwarding and so on, time-lapse type of thing, how the water droplets form in the night and how those water droplets then are taken in by the plant to bring life. The Lord says that's what the remnant is going to be. They're going to be like dew upon the earth. They're going to be this great blessing to the peoples around them, to those around them, to those who are not part of Israel and Judah, their existence, the fact that God has preserved them and kept them is going to be such a blessing to the nations. He is picturing for us not only the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ out of that remnant, but he is picturing for us the church of Jesus Christ as well, and the blessing that the church is upon this world. We are the salt and light of the world. We are the dew of the earth. If it were not for the presence of the church of Jesus Christ. Think of what a sad condition this world would be in. If it were not for Christians. Think about the horrible condition the world would be in. God is looking at it and saying, yes, I know you're small. I know you're insignificant in terms of numbers. I know that you as you are going to be but a, a dot on the spectrum of nations. You're going to be overwhelmed by Greeks and Romans. But you're still going to be a blessing for out of you will come forth Christ. I know, church, that you seem small and insignificant in the world. But out of you will be a blessing. But then God adds to it. He says, not only will the remnant be due, you will be like a lion. And notice how the Lord brings this up. You're going to be like a lion amongst the nation, amongst the beast. You know, oftentimes we picture the church and believers as sheep, and rightly so, because that illustration is given to us. But very rarely do we think of ourselves as a lion. And yet that's what God says. I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the strength. You shall be a powerful people because of me. And if one thinks about that in the day and age in which we live today. Think of the fact that God himself indwells us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Not insignificant. We are powerful as the church, as the body of Christ, because of Christ. We are the remnant that God has said is like a lion. 
Micah is writing this. And this prophecy is given to him by the Lord. Before the Assyrians have come and before the Babylonians have come. By the time the Old Testament is done. The greatest, most powerful ruler of the known world is going to be on his knees before God. Acknowledging God as the one sovereign being of the universe. Nebuchadnezzar. Before the end of this Old Testament, one who inherits and becomes the greatest ruler of the Persians, Cyrus, is going to say, I acknowledge God and therefore I'm sending this remnant home. See, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's our picture. But then he goes on in verses 10 to 15, and there's a change. If you just look at the, they shall be like, they shall be like, they shall be like, they shall be like. Okay, there's the picture of that remnant. But then when you turn to verse 10, it's, and in that day, that's prophetic language for saying, in the future, far in the future, in that day. And what we're looking at now is not within the time frames of Old Testament. We're not even looking at the time frame with which the New Testament is written in. We're not even looking at today. We're looking at the day of the Lord. We're looking at that day when Christ returns. And in that day, what shall God do with this remnant? Well, he talks about the driving out of the horses and... The, the cutting off of the cities and the sorceries. It's a picture of the fact that in that day, God will purify his people. God will glorify his people. That in glory, there is no sin. See, this is the prophecy that the Lord gives to Micah way back there in the Old Testament about that which shall happen to the remnant of Israel, that which shall be us someday. In that day, the Lord Jesus Christ shall purify his church. Is it pure now? Obviously not. Obviously not, because I'm here. And you can put your own name in there. Are we fully trusting in Jesus Christ? We'd like to think so. We make that confession. We desire it. Boy, you know, there's the things of the world that tug at us. So we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. No, we're not pure yet. Oh, in the sight of God, through the blood of Christ we are. But that's theological. The experience of God's people is we know we are sinners yet. Anybody who looks at the church and expecting to find that which is pure had better keep looking because they won't find it in the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the prophecy is this doesn't happen until Christ returns. 
in the church of Jesus Christ becomes devoted and pure. Now, I told you uh, several weeks ago that the book of Micah okay, is like traveling to Jerusalem. There are a lot of hills and there are a lot of valleys. There are peaks and there are low points. As you make the journey from Morasheth Gath to Jerusalem, which is where Micah has been called from to go to Jerusalem, this is his travel. And the book follows that as well. We've just come out of chapter 5. A glorious passage. A beautiful chapter that speaks about the coming of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem, speaks about the remnant and its blessing to the world, speaks about the purity and devotion of the church that is to come. But here's the reality. We just crossed over a hill and now we've got to go to a valley. And here's the valley. It is the charge of the Lord. Chapter 6, hear what the Lord says. Aride, please your case before the mountains, because the Lord has an indictment against his people. It's still a word we use today in the judicial system. People are indicted. They are charged, formally charged, not suspected. They're not just on the suspected list. There's not just some evidence, but an indictment is a formal charge by a body that is entrusted with the responsibility of adjudicating a case. And this isn't some federal prosecutor operating out of some sort of political whim one way or the other. This isn't some attorney only bringing this forth in order to pat his own pocket. This is the Lord. Notice it is the Lord. He's not referred to as God here. It is the Lord. In other words, all caps, Yahweh, Jehovah, God is the covenant God. God is the one who has enacted the covenant, now comes as the one who is the judge of the covenant, bringing a charge against his people. What was the charge? I've been so good to you. I've been so good to you. I have saved you time and time and time again. I gave you leaders. I have blessed you with so many blessings. But you've rejected me. You've turned from me. Even though I rescued you from Balak, even though I rescued you from Pharaoh, I brought you into this land flowing with milk and honey. Whenever threats have come, I've saved you. I have intervened on your behalf miraculously. And you've turned your back on me. You got Asherah poles. Your forest glades. You got temples to Baal on your hills. 
You abandon the true worship of me. You've exchanged it, as Paul says in Romans, for the likeness of created things. That's the charge. This is what you have done. I entered into a covenant with you. You promised. You promised back there at Gerizim and Ebal. You promised. You said we are our own witnesses. We promised. We said you can witness against us. We promised we will serve you. You have not done it. You have failed. So pick it up with me at verse 6. Now, there's a, a lot of question about what's happening in verses 6 and 7. But I, I want you to read this as the response of the guilty. You've just been charged. The people of Israel and Judah have just been charged with forsaking the Lord, turning their backs upon him. Think of an individual. Perhaps in the political sphere, this would perhaps work the best. Who has been charged with some criminal activity, with some campaign financing wrongdoing. They've, there's been a formal indictment. What happens next? What do, what do people who are charged do? They didn't do anything. What did you expect? What do, you, what do you mean? What did I do wrong? What do you want? What do you want from me? How was I supposed to observe all those laws? And how was I supposed to observe all those rules? It's an excuse, right? Read verses 6 and 7 as the response of those who have just been indicted by the Lord. This is the response of the people. It's given through... The mouth of Micah, through inspiration of the Lord, and as I told you a few weeks before, some of Micah, you have to understand, is very satirical. He's putting words in the mouth of the people, but it's, it's their thoughts. This is the way they're thinking. So here's God's charge. You've turned from me even though I've saved you time and time and time again. So what do you want us to do, Lord? Huh? What is it you want us to do? Do you want us to come and to bow before you, Lord? Is that what you want? Is, is that what you're looking for, Lord? It, Lord, do you want us to come with some burnt offering? Lord, would that make you happy right now? I, we realize you're angry. We realize you're really upset with us. Okay, do, do you want some burnt offerings? Is, is that how we can pay you off? Is that how we can get away from this indictment? Lord, how about... Thousands of rams, probably thinking in terms of the sacrifice of Solomon at the dedication of the temple. How about that, Lord? Not just one or two. How about if we bring you a thousand rams? Lord, will you be happy with that? Is, is that what you want of us, Lord? How about 10,000 rivers of oil? You want us to bring it in? By the man and taker load? Uh, you, you want us to just pour it out on some altar, Lord? 
Is that what you want us to give? Now, you know that the hearts of these people aren't right. Because look at where they go. See, look at how they're progressing here. Do you want my firstborn son? Well, what does that refer to? That refers to the practice of the Ammonites in their child sacrifice to Moloch. Is that what you want us to do, Lord? Lord, if we sacrifice our firstborn son, would you be happy then? See, you have, to, you have to understand that this is not people responding out of genuine repentance. Lord, what can I do? These are people who are being satirical to the one who is charging them. Right? Because can you ever pay off God? The answer is no. So here comes the requirement of the Lord. Now the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant God comes. He says, here is what I require. I require that which is good. And how is goodness defined here? In Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Three things. You are to do justice. You are to do justice. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's not you are to be just. It's not that you are to speak of justice. It's not you are to vote for justice. You personally, individually, and you corporately have to do justice. You have to practice it. What is justice? Doing that which is right. That's justice. What does the Lord require of you? 10,000 rivers of oil? No. Your firstborn son? No. Do justice. That isn't signing up for some cause and some rally, although that may be good. It isn't joining some organization, although that may be good. It's putting into practice in your everyday walk of life, that which is right. Doing the just thing. It's not just a business principle. It's not just a law principle. It is a life, a moral principle. Seek to do that which is right in every and all circumstances. This is what I require of you. Now there's plenty of evidence in the book of Micah. They were doing anything but this in their daily lives, in their daily transactions. They, they were not treating each other justly in terms of religion, in terms of humanity. They were enslaving one another, nor in terms of economics. 
So this wasn't just, oh, well, that'll be easy. No, that would mean undoing hundreds of years of sinful practices that had become ingrained in their lifestyle. Do justice. Secondly, Micah 6.8, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice and to love kindness. Some versions use the term mercy. We are to love mercy. To desire in our hearts to be forgiving. Ever meet somebody the opposite of that? Ever meet somebody or have to deal with somebody who does not love kindness, who does not love mercy? does not have it as the basic desire of their heart to want to forgive. Now they want to hold a grudge. They want to be angry. They want to be mean. They want to be upset. They want to be vengeful. They want to be revengeful. They don't just yell and scream because... They're responding to something. They yell and scream because they like to yell and scream. They enjoy yelling and screaming when somebody has done something wrong. It gives them pleasure. God is asking, in a sense, the complete opposite of that. Never know people who withhold their love because they're angry. They speak to you and give you the silent treatment. I'll show you. I can hold out longer than you can. You're to love kindness, to love mercy, to have the desire. To be compassionate towards people. To seek to be understanding of people and their circumstances. This does not mean, my friends, this does not mean that sin is overlooked. This does not mean that sin is not dealt with. But it does mean that in our heart, we would far rather forgive. We would far rather have compassion. We would far rather have mercy than we would to hold a sin against a person or an individual. Look, there are people who are angry for 30 years over a statement that was made 30 years ago that was an inadvertent statement. But they're still mad. What do I require of you? Do justice. Love. Mercy. And third, walk 
humbly with the Lord. Humbly here does not mean as in terms of sometimes, oh, they have such a humble abode, meaning they're poor. They don't have much. That isn't what it means here. Humbly simply means it's not arrogant. It's not prideful. You see, the people of Israel and Judah at this time were walking pridefully. We are God's people. We are the people of God. Therefore, we can do this, we can do that, because we're the people of God. We're Israel, we're Judah, we're Jews. There was an arrogance about themselves. It's similar to that which we run across in Jesus' parable, isn't it, in Luke chapter 18. The Pharisee and the tax collector who enter into the temple to pray. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that man over there. I'm so much better than he. But the tax collector would not even lift his eyes towards heaven. Forgive me. Which one of these two went home justified, asked Jesus. The arrogant, the pride, proudful, or the humble? Walk humbly. Live humbly. But that isn't where Micah ended. It's not live humbly. It's live humbly with the Lord. See, it's when we walk humbly Which one goes home justified? See, the blessing of the humility that Micah and Jesus are speaking of is the blessing of being lifted up. He who is last shall be first. Whatever you've lost for the kingdom shall be given to you a hundredfold. This walking humbly with the Lord is is not some sort of self-depreciation of worthlessness of our existence. It is the understanding of our extreme worth in the eyes of the Lord. Which forces us to walk humbly with Him because it's got nothing to do with us. If you were to look at this and you'd say to me, so what's the difference? I'm struggling here. They were forsaking covenant. Now God lays this requirement upon them. You are to do justice. You are to love kindness. You are to walk humbly with the Lord. Who can do that? None of us. But Christ did. Christ did it. Christ fulfilled this demand. Christ is the one who did justice. Christ is the one who loved mercy. 
Christ is the one who walked humbly with the Lord. Yet not as I will, but thy will. Lord, I came into this world not to glorify myself, but to glorify you. All that he did was to glorify the Father. He fulfilled this perfectly. And we all, wow, so I don't have to. Not quite so quick. Turn with me to John's Gospel. We're going to look at four passages in succession. And then if you're following along on the outline, I'll, I'll give you the word to put in. John chapter 14. helps if you have the right chapter. John 14, verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Verse 10, Romans 8, 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One more, Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I can't on my own do justice. I can't on my own love kindness. And I can't on my own walk humbly with the Lord. But Christ does. And if you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, then we can, by Christ, through Christ, in Christ, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God.
You see, we are to be the reflection of the sun in this world. And a glorious reflection of him is needed in our world today. And God's people say, Father, we do thank you for the richness of your word, for the blessing of it, for the encouragement and joy we can find in it, for the fulfillment that is found in Christ, and for the glorious blessing of Christ living and dwelling in us. In his name, we pray. And God's people say, Amen.